the Lord has prepared our hearts with the, the music and just uh, even the fellowship. And, and now we draw our, our attention to His Word. And, and it's our privilege to, to be able to do that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just thank You, Lord, for those that are here. Thank You, Father, for the privilege of fellowship. Father, the privilege of being able to open Your Word and expound on Your Word and and let our hearts be drawn into it. Let it have its work. Let it have its way in our life. Um, It is a powerful Word and I pray that that would happen today. But Lord, we recognize that we stand here only by Your grace. Father, we are just wicked, sinful people. And we struggle with sin. We thank You, Father, for Your forgiveness, for Your, your grace in our life that even exposes us to our sin and, and, and draws us to You, to, to the cleansing blood of Christ Jesus. Lord, we come to You and we just confess those things that we have failed to do this week. We confess those things that we've done and shouldn't have done. Lord, when we've faltered, we know that we trample on Your grace. And we come before You, though, Lord, now, knowing that You are a God who forgives. We stand here forgiven. We come to this place. We rejoice together, forgiven people. What a blessing. May we never take that for granted. We thank You for Your forgiveness, for Your your cleansing power in our life. I do pray that You would bless our time in Your Word, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are uh, coming to the end of an election season. And uh, frankly, I for one am glad. I am tired of the flyers in my mailbox that are so big, that are twice as big as the mailbox itself. I'm tired of all the commercials. tired of all of the billboards and the signs that line the roads everywhere you go. It's and the phone calls and everything that goes to, goes on during these time, this time. And um, even just on the Internet with Facebook and all the blogging, everything's about politics. Everything is, is concerning that. And it's brought up several things. I just noticed just looking at some of the blogs and things online. I noticed um, just some Christians are really struggling with this thing. What's the main issue? Some are saying, should I vote uh, or not? You know, should a Christian even get involved in this thing? Who's telling the truth? It can be hard. It can be difficult. To Here's a question. Can I, a Christian, vote for a Mormon? What, uh, what, what should our focus be? Or um, what, what's the... We don't force our values on people, do we? Through the ballot box. Or, or we're supposed to be loving and kind and gentle people, aren't we? Um, and giving. And remember, the corruption in Washington, D.C. anyway, and, and Charleston, and, and all the, polit- the politi- politicians are corrupt anyway, so just pull out, don't vote at all. And I hear, I hear people saying that. But we have two citizenships, don't we? 
We have a citizenship in heaven. If you are a believer, your citizenship is in heaven. But you also have a citizenship down here. You are connected, not just to a country, but you're connected to a community where you live, where you live. And it's, um, it's interesting to see people's perspective on what we're supposed to do, what is our responsibility within the community. And for the next couple of weeks, I'd like for us to just address that and try to discuss and, and really kind of lay a foundation of our God-given responsibility um, to the world. Now, that's one way to put it. Those are broad terms. Our God-given responsibilities in the world. But let me put it like this. This is a better way to put it. What is your responsibility? What is your God-given responsibility in the community? That makes it local, doesn't it? That puts it right here. And what I'd like to see, what I'd like for us to do and accomplish in the next couple of weeks, I want you first of all just to see how important and realize how important your involvement in the community is. It's important that Christians are involved in the community. I want you to also to be preparing your heart, preparing your heart to be able to share Christ, to be able to be involved in the community and have that effect on the community. And then number three, it'd be my goal, it'd be my desire that you commit yourself to doing that. You commit yourself to some faithful role, some faithful ministry, if you will, in the community. It might not be in a formal capacity, but in some way, I want you to commit yourself to some ministry. Now, there's a couple of concerns. There's a couple of extremes that the church throughout history have have seen. And we've fallen the traps of two two extremes. And the church seems to always be doing that. The church just just goes from one extreme to the other extreme. And... and, uh, and we, we never seem to just come to the biblical center. And, and I've just with my own life, and I grew up in a Christian home, and, and I, I just notice these extremes. And we, we go from legalism to, to license, and we go from this to that, and, we just, and just extremes. And, and I think, you know, if we just read the Bible, we have a biblical balance. Now let me say, it is hard. Balance is hard. But it can be achieved, and it's not that hard. We, you know, see extremes of, of the church being so much involved in politics that it just becomes imbalance. Or the church not saying anything about the moral issues of the day. Or we see, even in psychology, the church goes down this road of psychology, and you go to an extreme, or, or the church not saying anything. You see extremes. In this realm, we see uh, when it comes to the world and the Christian's responsibility in the world, we see two extremes. The first extreme is to retreat from the world. And I think that's what you saw really um, back in the 30s, 40s, maybe the 50s. That was the, that was the trumpet call. The world is sinful. It is sinful out there. We retreat from the world. And there was actually a call to, to pull out of politics. Christians don't belong in politics. It's a place of compromise and you can't, you can't, uh, can't be there. And we're told to pull back from the, the world. And the, um, 
the, the, the verse that would been used is come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. That's a great verse and that's a good principle. But wait a second. Wait a second. There's a balance there. There's a scriptural balance. Now here's the other extreme. In the Middle Ages, you had, you had what? The church being coming very involved in the world. And you have the, the merge of the church and the state and the, the church began to be powerful and they saw that and it was their opportunity to squash any other religions and you had the crusades and the campaigns and uh, you had the, the conquering church. And so the church is this extreme one way, the other way. Where is the balance? Where is the balance? Let me just show you this balance. Turn over to John chapter 17. Now this is not our text, and, um, but, but I, I just wanna, I want us to see this. This is important that we understand the balance that we're supposed to, to reach. And, and an imbalance in any direction is, is not good. In verse 14, John chapter 17, verse 14. Now, let me give you the context here. It's Jesus' high priestly prayer. He's, he is talking to His heavenly Father about the disciples and about their role in, and responsibility in this, in this world. In verse 14, He says, I have given them Your Word, precious gift. The Holy Spirit brings the Word of God and it's written for us. Christ given us this word. What a precious gift. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. Well, that, that, they're in the world. Don't take them out of the world, but they're not of the world. Which is it? Which is it? But I want you to keep them from the evil one. The end of verse 15, verse 16. They are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So He's given us the word and we're sanctified. We're, we're in the world, but, but we're not really of the world. We're, we're, we're set apart from the world. And what sets us apart is this word. Is this word. Let me finish it. Verse 17, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I I sent them into the world. And I sanctify myself, he goes on to say. Now there's a balance there. We're to be in the world. We're sent into the world, but we're not of the world. And what keeps us from that world is really the word And just that purifying Word in our life, just constantly being renewed by the Word of God. And that separates us from the Word. Now, we do the same things as the world. Many times we look like the world and we even talk like the world. We have to have jobs. We go to work like the world has to go to work. We, we raise our families. The, the world does that. The world has their little activities, their same little hobbies. Basically, we're, we're very similar. We're very much like the world. But there's a slight difference there. There's, a, there's an emphasis that's not there, or that's, that's in a different place, we might say. Uh, what the one pastor said, the, um, the emphasis is on the wrong syllable. The emphasis is on the wrong syllable. You have a world that speaks the same language, but just with a different dialect. I had a friend in seminary. His name was John 
John Baker. And his, he was from uh, Australia. And I uh, loved to hear him speak. It was great. Now, he spoke English, but you had to kind of listen. You had to kind of... Because he had this little accent. And it's very much similar to the Christians in the world. They're in the world. They, they look like they dress the same. They're, they're pretty similar to the world. They do the same thing. But there's a, a little bit of a different emphasis on different syllables. Speaking the same language, but boy, they're just something a little different. They would say that about us, and we would probably say that about them. Now, turn over to Matthew, and this would be our key text, Matthew chapter 5. I want to flesh this out. What is it exactly that we are to do in this world? How different are we to be from the world? And actually, there's a lot of questions that we want to ask. And it will take a couple of weeks for us to get through this. And um, uh, so just bear, bear with us here. We'll take a break from our John passages. And I just want to flesh this out a, a little bit. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor can... Nor do anyone light a lamp and put it under a bushel or a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. And let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds or good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now within this little sermon within this little point of Jesus's sermon on the mount we see a lot of implications of the christian in the world and here's what i want you to see and this is the point those who have put their faith in christ jesus have a god-given role of influence in their community let me read it to you again those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ have a God-given role of influence in their community. And here's the question I want us to ask for the next couple of weeks. How can a Christian have an effective influence in the community that is acceptable to God? What did God have in mind for the church when he said this? Now, this is not a new passage to you, I know. But sometimes I think it is because we don't really flesh it out. What did he mean? What does this look like? How has this worked out in our, in our lives? Now, there's six elements here. We won't look at all six this week. We'll look at some this week and maybe uh, in some the next week. Six elements here that will help to clarify our minds of our role, the Christian's role in the community, and then help us to be more effective influence in the community. Okay? So there's six things, six things I just want to pull out from this particular passage that will help us to have a better influence and to clarify our role as Christians in the society. Okay? You with me? Number one. Number one. Christians are to be salt and light in a dark and decaying world. 
Christians are to be salt and light in a dark and decaying world. He says, you are, you are. There's an emphasis on that. And it actually should be translated, you and only you. We just sang a song earlier. Jesus was the way, the truth, the light, or the life. There's a singularity about that. But there's, and, and that is, is what you see here. You and you alone. There, are, there is no other light. There's no other salt on the earth except you. You and you alone. You. Now, who is he talking about here? Who is the you? Well, like I said earlier, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has gathered His disciples together. And what would happen in that day is, especially in an earlier part of the ministry, um, He would gather His disciples together and He would would set them down. Okay, if you're going to follow Me, here's the criteria. Here's your characteristics. Here's what you're supposed to do. Here's what you're supposed to look like. And that's what He gives us. And that's what we see right at the beginning, the Beatitudes. Here's the characteristics. Here's the you that he's talking about. Those who are blessed, blessed are you, he says in verse 3. Blessed who are poor in spirit. Characteristic of those who are going to get into the kingdom of God, those who are following Christ as disciples of Christ, have been, are poor in spirit. They're broken over their sinfulness. In verse 4, they mourn. They mourn because of their sinfulness. There's a contriteness of heart. Those are the ones that are going to get into the kingdom. Verse 5, there's gentleness. Those who are gentle. The, those who, verse 6, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The merciful. The pure in heart. The peacemakers. Those who are making peace between man and God. Those are the ones, those are the characteristics of those who are going to get into the kingdom. And those are the people that he's talking about here. But look at the last one. Soon as you begin to have those characteristics, what's the natural outflow of the world is going to be that you are going to be persecuted. Blessed are those who have, who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Once you hold up this light of righteousness, once you begin to hold up that standard of righteousness, you're going to be persecuted. He just goes right into that. It's a natural flow. In fact, it kind of looks like one of the Beatitudes. He says, blessed, verse 11, blessed again. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Here's the key, because of me, for my sake, your translation might have it, because of me, because of Christ. There's a natural flow there. You begin to take on these characteristics. And it's, you take on these characteristics is because, remember the, the new covenant we talked about, God reaching down, changing our heart, taking out that heart of stone, putting in a heart of flesh, putting in a heart that wants and desires righteousness and desires to follow after Christ. One that's broken over sinfulness. That's the characteristic. So he's put that new heart in there. And he's done this to make Israel jealous of this church. And someday Israel will recognize who they have crucified. And he says, now you're going to be persecuted. 
Soon as you, soon as you uh, start to walk these characteristics and, and uh, become like this, you're going to be persecuted and it's just going to happen. It's the way it is. But he says, now, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. You hang in there. It's okay if they persecute you because they persecuted the, the, the prophets before you. You're in good company. It's okay. But you hang in there. You're going to be different from the world. You, um, you are salt, he says. And it's an analogy, obviously. You're in a, it's an analogy. It's primarily talking about the preserving facts or preserving elements of salt. Um, salt has many other characteristics. I mean, it's white. It's, you could say, well, you might be talking about the purity. Uh, it stings when it gets on your skin if there's a sore cut or something like that. So it might uh, you know, take on this stinging element to the world. But I think he's, in this context, I think in the primary use of salt in that day was to retard the decay on meat and, and to slow the, the decay down so that meat wouldn't spoil. Um, now, that's pretty gross to think about. Decaying meat. Now, the Lord gave us a little present a few weeks ago. We have a, a little above-ground pool, not very big. One Saturday morning, I woke up and um, I just glanced out into the pool and, and there's something floating in our pool. And it was a, well, I thought it was a beaver at first. And the closer I looked, it, it, was, a, it was a raccoon. And apparently, a raccoon had gotten in and, and had drowned. He was dead. We poked him a few times and he's floating around and... You know, expecting, you know, you poke him and you expect him just to rear up and just grab you and kill you and eat you up and all of that. But he didn't. In fact, uh, we talked about it over breakfast. You know, what do we do with this thing, you know, and all this. And, and uh, so I, I, I'm just going to get rid of this thing. And I reached in and, of course, grabbed this, this thing out of the pool. And I noticed he was still soft. And first thing I think of is a coonskin hat. Okay? And so I, I do. I just think, you know, I could do that. So uh, I pull him out and I say, guys, you know, I, and the boys are around and, and I say, uh, we're feel, feeling pretty manly, you know. And, and so I, I pull out my pocket knife and I, I think, I think I can do this. And I just, boom, and I just, I skin this raccoon. I've never done that before in my life, but I'd, I'd seen things skinned before, and I, I thought I could do it. And we skinned it, and it actually looked pretty good. It was a pretty good pelt. And, and, um, and the first thing you did, now, I didn't know what to do with it after that, but I went to the library, and I got a book. And I said, put salt on it right away. Salt. Even in our day, they, we use salt to preserve and, and slow down and stop the decay of that meat. I thought that was pretty interesting. I thought, well, surely they've come up with something else. But, but not really. Now, you know that... Well, now, you're wanting to know the rest of the story. I'm, I'm ready to stop there, but you're wanting to know it. So I, I take this raccoon pelt, and, uh, and I didn't realize how fatty raccoons are. And there's a lot of fat there. There really is. So I'm trying to 
carve this out. And, I, and then I begin to realize I don't have the right tools. I mean, it just becomes obvious. You have to have a, um, what do they call it? A uh, Oh, I don't even know. It's a tool that just gets all of the fat off of the raccoon or off of the skin. It's a tanning uh, tanning thing. Uh, and, uh, and I didn't have one, but I tried, you know, with my machete, and I wound up putting holes in the pelt. And, but I still preserved it. I preserved it for a little while, for a week, you know, put salt on it, preserved it for a little, big, a little week, a little while. And then I, I set it out, and then I forgot that it was out there. So some dog has come, and he's wearing a nice kin, uh, coonskin hat that uh, compliments of me. So I don't know where that... If you see it, if you see some dog, you let me know. You get it back for me. (laughs) Okay, that's enough foolishness. You know what I'm talking about. Meat decays. You go past a a, a dead deer on the road. It's been there for a while, maybe in the hot summer days. And you smell the decay. You roll up your window quick. You just smell it. You know it's there. It's just what happens. Listen, Christ is saying this world is a dark place. It is a decaying place. And you're the salt. You're retarding that, um, you're retarding that decay. Now, I'm reminded, and you, you may have thought of this verse as well, of just Genesis chapter uh, 6 where God said about uh, uh, those people living in Noah's day, My spirit will not always strive with man. In fact, every thought of man is just continually uh, wicked, uh, constantly wicked. Even the motives of their heart. God's not going to put up with it. It's just man continues to go down and down. We don't see that so often, do we? We see progress. But it's not. I mean, you think it's progress. I mean, we've got computers now. We've got cars and we've got planes. And man, there's just coming up with all kinds of things. And it it looks like we're getting better, but in reality, we're not. We're decaying. In fact, he goes on to say, you're not only salt, but you're also light. You're light in the world. You are light. This is a matter of fact. The emphasis is on the fact that you are it. You don't become light gradually. You know, you guys are going to be the light of the world. No. No, you are light. Well, what does that mean? Paul says it like this, you, you were once darkness. That's the world. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And he says, walk as children of the light. Walk as children in the light. God Himself is light. We would agree with that. The Bible says that. God is light, and we can kind of understand that. And God is, um, our Christ Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, because so Christ is light. And we can understand the the Word of God being light. In fact, the Holy Spirit uh, gives us this light. It is His Word, and He has given us this light. He would be light as well. We could say that the Holy Spirit is light and is a luminary and illumines our minds. Well, what happens to us? We understand God. We understand Christ. We understand His Word. We understand the Holy Spirit. John 3 says it like this, and this is a verse we talked about maybe two weeks ago. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested having been wrought in God. It is God who has wrought that light in your life. 
It is God who has made you light. If you are a believer, if you are a Christian, it is because God has put light in you. Now, it's His light, obviously. We're the lesser light. We're not God. But boy, He's put that light in you. There's a passage that you can turn to if you like. Luke chapter 1. And this is, uh, is um, Zacharias' uh, prophecy. He's, his son uh, uh, is born and he makes this prophecy. And in this, this declaration, declaration to the Lord, this praise to the Lord. And here's some of the things that he says about this light. To give to his people the knowledge of salvation... So this Savior is going to come and He's going to give to His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. That's pretty specific what this is talking about. Because of the the tender mercies of God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. God being the sun. And He's drawing us a picture here. The sun rising. And it's rising on high. And that's God Himself. And it comes and visits us. To shine upon those who sit in darkness. Isn't that a beautiful picture? In the context there, I mean, he he even mentions it's it's salvation, it's the forgiveness of sin, it's worked in our heart. He says to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. That's what that darkness is. We sit in the shadow of death. Death just looms over us. It's inevitable. We will die. And and it's a frightening thing. And that death just casts a shadow over us. But then the light of the Gospel, God in His light and His His brilliance comes and it just dispels that darkness, that shadow that death is casting over us. What a picture. And to guide our feet into the way of peace. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what light does in a heart? Here's another verse. For God, and this is Paul in 2 Corinthians, For God who says, Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shone in your heart. God has given you that light. It is in you. You are that light. And it's because of God. He has shown in your heart to give glory of God, to give the glory of God in the face of Christ. Another beautiful picture. There's another verse for us just to remind us. Philippians 2.14 Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will, be, you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation that's dark and decaying. Among whom, listen, you appear as light in the world to the world when we just simply live our life and the very fact that God has transformed our life and redeemed our life and put that light into us, we just simply live our life and that becomes light in the world. Obviously, it doesn't stop there and there's more elements to it than that. But light is, is the revelation of God, of Himself, redeeming our life. Redeeming our life. And it's the lifestyle that that results in that redeemed life. 
as well as the message that we proclaim, as well as the testimony that we have. Here's what's happened to us. God gave it, got a hold of my life. So we point to Christ. It doesn't mean just to flavor the world or make the world an interesting place. It doesn't mean to, to just be exciting and the world sees and gets their excitement from us or, or creativity where we're the creative apple in the, the world. No, it's not joy. All of those things are true about the believer, but, but it's, it's light is the gospel of the re, and, and what that gospel can do in a life. It's a redeemed life and the message that goes along with that. Salt and light are opposite to the world. It's opposite. It's opposite to the world. We're different from the world. We just are. Sometimes I think that uh, we don't see that difference. And if we don't see that difference, here's what's going to happen. We don't think the world needs salt and light. And we're not going to be salt and light. We're just going to blend right in. We're going to put our light under a bushel. The world cannot do certain things. It's blind to certain things. And let me, this is a list from Curtis Pugh. He's a pastor. And uh, I just found this interesting. And he just was pointing out some things in Scripture that the world cannot do. The world cannot, cannot understand God. The world cannot understand God. The world cannot think as God thinks. Thinks as God, you know what? We can do that, can't we? We can think like, how do we do that? Well, we conform our thinking to the Word of God. Or let it transform us from within, within our thinking. So we can think. And the world can't do that. They can't really even see spiritual things. They can't know their own heart, the wickedness in their own heart. It's blind to them. They can't receive the Holy Spirit. They can't really even hear the Word of God, hear in the sense of receiving and understanding the Word of God. They can't produce new birth within themselves, spiritual birth. They can't birth themselves into the family of God. They can't produce repentance. They can't produce faith in Christ. They cannot come to Christ unless God woos them. They cannot believe in Christ unless God puts that faith in them. They cannot please God. Listen, we or you are different from the world. You're different. Now, what has to happen? Christ says... You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You're going to be different. This is a dark and decaying world, and you need to be in there. In fact, let's turn over to Romans chapter 10. Just a, again, reminder. This is something that you know. But it's just a reminder. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if you, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth... Jesus Christ says, Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He's talking about salvation there. And it comes as a result of you confessing and God working in your heart to the point, I believe, yes, I believe, there's faith there. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, that faith produces righteousness in our life. And as a result, the mouth confesses, resulting in salvation. For the Scripture says, "Without or whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. 
For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord over all, abundant in riches for all who call upon Him or call on Him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Wonderful fact. Verse 14. How then... How will they call upon whom they have not believed? Well, how, how can they call if they haven't believed? Well, well, how will they believe? He's raising a lot of questions here. How will they believe on whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Somebody's got to go. How will they preach unless they are what? Sent. Do you remember verse uh, um, John chapter 17? He says... I'm sending them into the world, Father. Just like you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And it's for this purpose. It's ultimately so that they can present the Word of God. And through that hearing of the Word of God, it produces faith in people's lives. The Holy Spirit works in their lives and changes their life. And they believe and they, re- and they confess, producing salvation in their life. The first step is somebody's got to be sent. And that step has already been taken. And what's the second step? You got to get the light in the world. You got to get the salt on the meat. You got to get the medicine in the sore. Our kids are forever falling and, and scraping up their knees, and you know we keep you know these various bottles of things in the cabinet. And uh, of course, they come; they're bleeding profusely, and and you you want to heal this thing, so you grab some stuff. Now, I don't just put the bottle on the the knee. That's ludicrous. That's, that's ridiculous. You've got to take the medicine out of the bottle and you've got to put it on the sore. It's an antibiotic. It kills the germs. Protects it. Helps that sore heal up. We've got to get some way the Christians into the world. We've got to get the salt into the world. We've got to get the light into the world. And that's the next point. You were wondering if I was ever going to get to point two, weren't you? I was too, frankly. Christ, uh, I mean, Christians, here's point two. Christians must have contact with the world to be effective. I mean, that's, that's, just, that's just obvious, isn't it? It's, it's obvious. You've got to have contact. It doesn't make sense. The, the whole process breaks down if you don't have contact. You are the light. But what can happen? What can happen? Well, you could be put under a basket. But that's not, that's not the way it works. That's not the design. A city is set on a hill so that everybody can see it. It's light. And if you're lost in the desert, if you're lost around, you can see the light of the city and, you, and it draws you to that, that city. You put it on the hill. You, you put the light on the lampstand so that everybody in the house can, can get light. You've got to get it out there. Notice in verse uh, 16, he says, let your light shine. That's the problem. There's a problem there now. Your light, now let it shine. Get it out there. Get it out there. In fact, that's the only command in this passage. Is let your light shine. Let it shine. Now, frankly, this is uncomfortable for the Christian. It's uncomfortable. I, I don't like it. I don't like being light. I don't like being pushed salt, being pushed into that decaying world. 
And it, it, it just doesn't, it's, it's just not right. You know what? That's exactly, that's the way it should be. You're to be in the world, but not of the world. Just, just be in the world. Live your life. You're going to be pushed into salt, into uh, decaying situations. Be salt. Be light in those situations. That's the point of contact. If we don't have contact with the world, decay is going to go rapidly. Darkness is going to just squelch and just be so thick if we don't have light. How do we hide our light? How do we do that? You can think of just as many reasons or many ways as I can. Let me just name a few here. I think sometimes we misunderstand the light and we think the light is uh, just some broader issue, some nebulous thing that's come broad. Uh, we, we think of it maybe as political action, you know, letting your light shine. And you, you go out and vote, and boy, then you're showing your light in the world. Uh, maybe, maybe talking about moral issues, and that's, that's the light in the world. Sometimes, uh, you know, what I mentioned, maybe you think of it as excitement or flavoring the world, misunderstanding what the light is and the salt is. Sometimes we may think it's just a winsome personality. So that people will like us. And, and, we'll, and we'll be drawn, people will be drawn to the light. It's not that. And I, I think that's where we fail. We, we think it, it has to be just so winsome and flavorful and, and exciting and, and all of this to the world so that it'll, it'll attract the world. Um, those are good. Those are good things. We don't want to be dull. We don't want to be, uh, my phrase is Casper Milktoast Christians. We want, to, we, want to, we want to be out there. We want to be, we want to be you know, have some life about us. We do have spiritual life now, but it's, it's more than that, isn't it? It's more than that. And we squelch our light when we don't understand what the light is. We also squelch our light just physically separating ourselves from the world. We physically, and I think I see that drift today, we, we tend to just, you know what, I'd rather not put up with that world. I don't want my kids exposed to that kind of lifestyle. I don't want to, I don't want to put up with that kind of language. I'm going to, I'm going to just, just physically move out of the world. And frankly, I'd love to do that. It'd sure be easy. It'd sure be easy. I, um. Let me show you this. Turn over to Ephesians. And we'll, we'll quit with this. I'm about halfway through point number two. But we'll quit anyway. Ephesians chapter 4. Here, here, here's what I think is going on so often. We, we found a way to live within this Christian community. And live at peace. In fact, we can live a great life within this Christian community. And, and here's what's happening there. Ephesians chapter 4, another passage that you know, but verse 11. For he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as uh, evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. For the equipping to, to prepare the saints and, and to, to build them up for the work and service of the building of the body of, body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the flesh and of the, the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man 
to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. What is he saying there? He's given us, he's given the church godly men that will help us to, uh, to grow, to be more like Christ. All of us together growing to be like Christ. Man, that's a great thing. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there with, by, wave of, by, by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness to deceitful, in deceitful schemings, but speaking the truth in love. We all are all, grow, all to grow up in all aspects into Christ, who is the head of even Christ, from whom the whole body... Now, this is a beautiful picture. From whom the whole body is being fitted together and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. You know what? It's comfortable here because you found your niche. There's a place for you in the church. God has gifted you so that you will fit in the church so that you can be a part of growing together in Christ so that we're all maturing. We're all being discipled in Christ. That's a beautiful picture. This is a great, a great thing. From whom the whole body being fitted together, fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself. What's the last two words? In Love. Now listen, frankly, I like this scenario. <laughs> it's love. This is a place of love, and I fit in. And, and we're, we've got a goal. We're, we're go- growing toward Christ and, and Christ's likeness, and it feels good here. It's much better than going out into that decaying, dark world by myself. But yet, Christ says, let your light so shine. Let your light shine in this way that everybody sees. Now listen, we need to have these times of refreshment around God's Word. And on Wednesday nights, we come together and we we love the fellowship. And we enjoy one another. And it's a loving environment. And that's what I want. Boy, if I'm a pastor in a church, boy, that's the kind of church you want, isn't it? A loving kind of environment. But listen, we can't stay here. We can't stay here. We've got to go out. Jesus said, I'm sending you out. <clears throat> go out. There has to be contact with the world. Contact with the world. Light is that revelation of God. So when we go out into the world, listen, we, we, we can't... I hate to stop here. Let me just stop with one illustration. Uh, I had the privilege a few months back being, um, being uh, asked to be in a, uh, a courtroom situation where I had to testify. I didn't actually have to do that. I didn't actually have to sit through the testimony. Uh, it's one of those things, and this has happened to me before. Actually, it, it's more common than you think. You're called, and you, you have to sit in this, uh, in this room, okay? And uh, you, you sit in this room until they're ready for you to come up and give your testimony. And, and you're sitting there, and you're waiting. And 
And uh, there's about, I don't know, six, seven other people in this room. We were there for probably three hours. I, I hated it. I mean, it, was, it was agonizing to me. I didn't bring anything to read or study or anything like that. And I, it was just agonizing to me. And, and frankly, I blew the opportunity. I blew the opportunity. I, I let my light stay under a basket. Now, I had conversations. You can't sit there three hours and not say anything. But I had conversations. But frankly, I didn't, I didn't turn those conversations into opportunities. The Lord gives us those conversations. We've got to have contact with the world. The Lord will produce those contacts. He can do that. We just got to make sure when He does that we're salt and that we're light in the community. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I, I thank You. I thank You for the reminder. Lord, for the provocation, for the, for the kick in the seat of the pants here, for the re- reminder that we've got to get out into the world. We've got to be productive. We've got to be salt and light in the world. That's why we're here. Lord, we, we, we love this environment. We, we love to stay within our Christian community and we don't like being in the world. It's uncomfortable for us. And frankly, it's uncomfortable for the world that we just will we'll just kind of get out of the way and let the world do its thing. But Lord, you called us and we can't do that. You tell us to, to, to shine, to let our light shine. Now, Lord, help us to flesh that out in our life. Help us to be salt and light. Help us to have that contact with the world, even at the risk of, of becoming dark ourselves. Even at the risk of, of being part of that decay. Oh Lord, help us to never, never be a part of that. Help us to be so distinct from the world. Oh Lord, we thank you. Thank you for, again, for your word that shows us these things. I pray that we would be able to correct what we need to. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.